Welcome to the Lions Made Podcast, episode 12. Today I'm joined by Coach Jason Broadwater, who's a high school soccer coach in the Pennsylvania area, and we talked all about youth soccer training, player development, technical and tactical skills from the United States perspective, and how that's developed over the last several years. We talked about what it takes mentally and emotionally to be a good skills player, and we also talked about general development and being a good human being, mental health issues, the benefits of therapy, being a good coach, and what to do if you don't have a good coach and the effect of a coach on a child's life. I really enjoyed this very, very casual conversation that I had with Jason. He is just an absolute wealth of knowledge. And without further ado, let's start the show. Because this conversation was such an absolute wealth of information, I broke it up into many parts. That means I didn't get my question recorded the way that I wanted it recorded. So my question to Jason was, How do we develop technical and tactical players in the United States, because the United States is relatively far behind, as most of you guys know, on a technical and tactical level? How does that start in youth development, and what are some of the keys to building those skills? It's gotten better, uh, I will say that, but we still have this uh, fascination with bigger, faster, stronger, and that equates to a better football player or a better soccer player. in, in many U.S. sports, uh, or sports that I should say are popular here in the U.S., that, um, you know, yeah, big, being bigger, faster, and stronger, that works really well for you. What we neglect, um, I think, far too often, and like I said, it's, it's gotten better, um, just because I think the, the collective education level of coaches has gotten better, but there's still gaps, right? Um, you know, I would often tell the story that the coaches I had as a, as a youth player, we spent more time on fitness work and on, um, you know, conditioning versus actually having a ball at our feet. So um, while we've made strides in terms of developing technical ability and kids truly loving a soccer ball at their feet, um, we're not where we need to be. And, um, you know, I I have high school players that um, there's one that came to me recently. Um, He sent me a text out of the blue um, one night. I was watching my son practice and um, he said, coach, you know, I'm really interested in getting more, more playing time and I want to get better um, for next season. So he, he's an underclassman and he'll be coming back to the team next year. And um, I've often said, Julia, that um, our youth system here in the U.S. has failed numerous players. Um, and that's not a criticism of moms and dads. I'm highly appreciative and respectful of any parent or anybody who's been willing to give their time. The, the, the gap, however, in terms of what they're trying to accomplish, they're basically a rudderless ship, right? It's a collection of drills that really are on the path to nowhere. Um, there isn't a, by doing this, this will get you to, you know, where you want to go as a player. So I, I wouldn't go as far as saying that we need to standardize it um, because there is no one size fits all, but, um, I think most, you know, football coaches would probably agree that there's a basic set, a basic set of skills that young football football players need to have in terms of being comfortable with the soccer ball at their feet. And, you know, a phrase that I often tell my players, like, guys, it's not a hot potato. You don't have to get rid of it. You know what I mean? Like, don't treat it like it's a ticking time bomb. You know what I mean? So there's a trickle down. If you've got time to dribble, then, then do it. You don't have to double pass it every For single For sure. A hundred percent. And the fact that um, the trickle down effect is that they don't have the confidence 
to have the ball at their feet. So that impacts their decision making of what they do with it. So, um, you know, so, so that's the, the technical piece that ties directly into the tactical, right? Um, you know, my, my wife and I were joking about a, a match that we recently played and, you know, she hears me from time to time talking about these things you'll hear in uh, American football or American soccer matches of boot it, get rid of it, you know, clear it, you know, all these things, right? This came up numerous times and she was just watching um, the team that we were playing against, heard it come up, whatever. And she goes, wow. She goes, um, she goes, I know you talk about it a lot, but she goes, it never really occurred to me how many times people actually say that in a match. And again, it goes back to this. Well, if I can just clear the ball and blast it down the field and I'm bigger, faster and stronger, I'm just going to outrun you, you know, presumably have a one V one situation with a goalkeeper, maybe a two V one and we'll score that way. Okay. So that's one way of doing it. Um, and there's times in a match where that's very appropriate. There's times where, you know, if, if playing direct is on, by all means, play direct. There's also times where, um, you know, like I said, not treating the ball like a ticking time bomb and keep it. Uh, I, I believe as a, as a football coach that if I have the ball more than the other team, there's a greater likelihood that I'm going to win, that my team is going to win the game. Um, seems pretty simple, right? Um, but most I mean, that's theoretically it. the basics of soccer, but it's not. Yeah, yeah. And for whatever reason, that message hasn't seemed to get down to the people that have probably needed to hear it the most. Um, so I think, you know, all these things, the technical ties into the tactical of them then understanding, you know, what is required of a center mid or a left mid or a center back or a striker when they actually have the ball at their feet, right? Um, but if they don't have that foundation and they don't have that base to work from, then they're always playing catch up. And, you know, um, I think for me as a coach, part of it is, is recognizing where players are, uh, and understanding what can I do to help get them a little bit better. So, you know, in the instance of this, um, particular guy that I'm working with on our high school team, there is room for improvement. Um, I believe that he, he's gotten better this season. I also believe there is you know, he can go further in terms of his ability. I wish, <laughs> I wish like hell that that ability was already in place. And that, um, so now I can then spend more time on the tactical piece of, you know, we're not doing um, just various technical drills to get him comfortable with the ball. You know, we're not doing outside chops and we're not doing Cruyff turns. We're not doing, um, you know, simply simple moves, dribbling the ball or passing the ball or whatever. And, I mean, he, I, right hand to God, Julia, he looked at me like I was crazy when I told him, I said, one of the best things that I want you to do this offseason is wall kicks. And he said, you want me just to kick a ball against the wall? And I said, yes. And he said, why? I said, it works on your receiving the ball, how you pass a ball. It's all muscle memory in terms of what you're doing. Um, you know, when you receive the ball, what do you do with it? Can you make a move with it? You know, that sort of thing. And it gets them to relax. They can just relax and shut off their brain and just do the hind brain. Just go. It automizes everything. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so what I've seen to to sort of tie this all together, what I've seen, the players that have that technical ability, you're exactly right. Um, they don't have to think they just play. They're confident. Um, there isn't this sort of, you know, I'm trying to do 47 things at one time, but I don't know which one to do first, you know, sort of thing going on in their brain. And that comes through, you know, 
um, obviously developing that at a young age, um, but it's just the repetition of doing it. So um, I think if someone were to come to one of my training sessions, they might actually say, wow, that is incredibly simplistic. That's what I subscribe to as a coach. I don't think we have to overcomplicate football. I don't think we have to, um, you know, think that, uh, you know, a person like myself or other coaches or Pep Guardiola or anything like that. Simple is actually better <laughs> in, in many cases in my experience. Um, and so, you know, what I will say, so for, again, to use this, uh, this young guy as an example, for what he lacks in technical and tactical ability, he makes up for in other abilities, right? He's added value, value to our team. He's a hard worker. His work rate's really high. Um, he may not always understand what he's doing and why he's doing it, but at least he's always giving his best effort while he's out there. He's not going through the motions. Um, so I would have, I'd rather have a player like that and of that mindset versus um, maybe a, a really technically gifted player or someone who understands the tactics of the game, but doesn't have the drive or the motivation um, to do that. So I think as a coach, um, it, it, it's probably a two-way street. So some of that has to come internally from the player, right? Do I want to do this? Do I have the motivation? Do I have the willingness to want to be good at my craft? Uh, a lot of players that I've worked with from young to old, yes, it is definitely there, right? There's that um, you know, sort of mindset of I want to perform and I want to perform at the highest level. For the ones that don't have that, how can I get that out of them as a coach? So that could be one-on-one -on -one conversations. It could be part of the team conversation. It could be, um, you know, just pulling a player aside in a training session saying, hey, I'm noticing this. Um, how can I help get you to where you need to be? Um, everybody is motivated by different things, right? There's players on my team that um, when we have an away match, uh, they're literally headphones on, laser-like focus, and they're, they're ready the minute they step off the bus. There's other players that are more casual, right? That are probably conversing with friends or um, a little bit more chatty or whatever that works for them. Um, I was always the type that I sort of like to isolate myself, um, you know, when I played. Uh, I like to put on music. There's a certain sort of list of songs that I want to listen to. And then I basically play the match in my mind um, before we actually play it, you know, out on the pitch. So you use visualization before visualization was a cool word. A hundred percent. And so for me, what that comes down to is I have to convince myself that I have the ability to do what I think I can do out there on the field. And there's days where I'll be quite honest, where I surprised myself going, I didn't know I could do that. There's other days where, you know, I go back going, God, like that was not my best effort. Right. And so, um, you know, I, I think for me, um, a lot of sport, and this isn't necessarily specific to football or soccer, a lot of sport is choreographed. A lot of it is rehearsed. A lot of it is same type of motions and movements over and over again. So if I can go through those and understand, okay, um, you know, it's a corner kick. Where do I need to be? What do I need to be doing? Um, where do I need my center backs and my, my left back and my right back to be if we're playing a 4-4-2 or something like that? Um, you know, how do we mark uh, players coming into the box, that sort of thing. So then it isn't, it just becomes instinct. It isn't this, oh my God, I've never encountered this situation before. You know, what do I do here? 
Um, and I think that's when, at least in my experience, when players seem to struggle the most, when they haven't had that repetition, when they haven't had that, um, you know, just sort of the consistency of training that particular environment or that scenario where they go, you know, they sort of give you the, you know, kind of the mm, kind of look of what do I do? And then they look to us as coaches for sort of validation of coach, am I doing this right? And if they don't get it there, then they look at their parents and they try to get validation there. And if they don't get it there, then they kind of just spin their wheels and, you know, kind of muddle through it. Um, and I've probably seen that more with the younger players, um, you know, versus the older players, the oldest player, the older players, I think, will, um, you know, if I would ask them afterward, they're like, well, we, we just fake it until we make it, you know, and I'm like, well, okay, yeah, maybe not the best approach, but hey, okay, you know, we can work on that. So, um, yeah, so that's a, a very long-winded sort of, you know, kind of trying to touch on a, a number of things there, but um, all these things, uh, to, to your question, I think, tie together and are not you know, separate or isolated things. There's actually, a, you know, a correlation um, b between all of them. And how do you help players who tend to be more perfectionistic to actually either relax, to loosen up, to implement those skills without overthinking it um, and holding on so tightly? Because when you hold on so tightly, obviously, then you try and overtake that automation in your brain, all those repetitions and does you no good. So how do you as a coach kind of or what maybe tips would you give to any players in the audience to help them loosen up on those perfectionism issues? Yeah. Um, so I, I really think it comes down to knowing the individual player, right? Um, I mean, in terms of just who they are as a person, knowing things about them, whatever. Every player is different in terms of, um, you know, that what I would actually say to them. But the conversation, so I, I can think of actually a player on my team currently who sort of fits that mold. And there have been times where I've actually pulled him aside and have said to him, um, hey, look, man, um, you know, I'm not expecting perfection from you. And you're holding yourself to a standard that is, quite frankly, unattainable. <laughs> um, so go out, be yourself, put in a good, you know, a good effort, and you'll be fine. And knowing at the end of the day, you know, and I've had to remind him a few times that myself, my coaching partners, I'm like, dude, I have your back. I, you know, you might hear a different story when you leave here, but at the end of the day, my opinion, my fellow coach's opinion, you know, it, it matters probably a little bit, not to say your parents' opinion or family opinion doesn't matter, but to remind them that it's okay. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. There isn't this, um, you know, I'm not expecting anybody to walk on water here, you know, <laughs> and if, and for me, I think Julia is conveying to them that, look, like, I totally messed up as a player. I mess up as a coach all the damn time. So I think there's a, a level of humility, right? Because if I come across as like a know-it-all and like sort of perfectionist, I think that sets a standard for my players of, well, you know, coach has this sort of unrealistic expectation of us. So I now have to do whatever I can to try and reach that. If I, I mean, if we're, if we're, you know, working on a drill or, um, going through part of our training session and it's just not working. I mean, there have been times where like when I've called the team over afterward and like I've just owned it and said, guys, like that absolutely sucked. And you know what? Like that one's on me because what I thought it was going to look like and what it looked like and how I thought it was going to play out did not play out the way it did. And so, you know what? Like we learned from it 
and maybe we try it again. Maybe we make a few alterations to it. But, um, you know, I was the one who came up with it, not you as the player, right? I asked you to perform in it, but I put you in that situation. And so I think there's a, um, it, it, so I would tell people that my coaching and probably how I parent my own children is probably not that dramatically different in the fact that there's a whole lot of honesty and a whole lot of, um, you know, just authenticity uh, of what I try to convey as a coach with my players and with my kids, right? We have a saying at my house that like, we don't do sick, uh, we don't do secrets. There is, you know, there's time, there's a time and place and obviously age appropriate and what kids need to know and, and that sort of thing. But if my kids have a question about something, I'm going to be real and not try and skirt it. I'm going to, I'm going to answer their question, right? I'm going to be, you know, I might even explain how it affected my life in some way. Which makes um, complete sense I, from as a parent and as a coach, because you want to be the expert for them on, you want to be their first point of contact for all those issues where you're the expert and where you can relate to yeah. them. So that makes, yeah. that makes sense that you would hold a standard where, Hey, I'm open. Come ask me first. Yeah. Well, and so here's how I learned that, right? Um, one, a whole lot of therapy <laughs> to know that. Um, Amen. Shout out to therapy. A, <laughs> for sure. For sure. Um, and, and thank God that I found a, um, a person who was just absolutely fantastic when I needed her the most, uh, you know, in my life. Um, a lot of my issues in life actually came from childhood. And when you build a culture of secrecy, um, you know, I, I spent my whole life basically trying to undo that. So I, I don't parent that way. I don't coach that way. And I think that players and kids um, <clears throat> are probably more willing to, you know, go that extra mile when they see someone who's real or someone who's authentic. And I guess for me, um, I mean, what it comes down to, I just can't be someone that I'm not, you know, uh, I, I'm sure at different times in all of our lives, we've tried to do that, right? I know in high school, you know, there may have been a time or two where I was like, man, I want to maybe fit in with a new group of people or whatever. And I came to the conclusion, and this sort of all ties together back to the, the road less traveled thing, that, you know, I don't know if I was driving home or, or headed home from a, a social function or whatever, that I came to my, came to the conclusion that I was being someone that I wasn't, you know, and I didn't like that. And so if I can just be who I am, um, you know, it, it usually works out pretty well. Um, you know, so there's, to tie this all together, I think it's a, you know, it, it, it's truly a, a, like learning a dance. I mean, you have to find that rhythm with players. Some players are more, you know, conversational. Some are less conversational. Some it takes sort of breaking down some barriers. Some are, I think, hardwired to immediately throw up a wall, you know, because of previous experiences that they've had, that they've had. And maybe some really shitty coaches that have sort of helped, you know, enable that behavior Whereas I'm trying to break down that behavior and, you know, this, this sounds, you know, probably a little bit crazy, but I, I want them, I want players of mine to look back and go, that was one of the best experiences I've ever had playing a game that I love. And if I do that as a coach, then I've succeeded, you know, yeah, wins and losses are important and, you know, athletic directors and, and people in positions of power obviously look at those things in terms of retaining coaches, but can I impact their life in a positive way? And I think if I can do that, um, you know, then, then I've succeeded as a coach. That's why I do it in plain and simple. I love that. That's why I'm in it as well. Um, 
we have such similar stories, it's kind of scary um, that we're sharing a brain cell. But <laughs> um, what would, what well, would you, you, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you're, I, I never had a sister. So maybe you're like my, my sister that I never had, you know? Certainly in the last life, if not this one. So <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about your thoughts on if an athlete doesn't have that kind of coach, which you're a gift. I didn't have that kind of coach. Um, out of all the coaches I had, I think I, I had one that I would run through a wall for out of probably eight to 10 coaches for athletes who don't have coaches who value the authenticity, who value getting to know them and how they tick, who know, as you said, um, how they are motivated and how they react to criticism, how they need to be spoken to things of that nature. What do you recommend to those athletes as they're still trying to develop technically, tactically, but also as a person, what, what might you say to them or offer them? Yeah, um, can be a really impactful um, piece of their development as a player. And I think especially if it happens early in their sporting career, and I'll use myself in, as an example, um, had some really shitty football coaches as a young person. Um, that is part of why I left the game at a young age and had this sort of, you know, really big gap of when I came back into it and got into other sports. Um, similar to you, Julia, that I had one coach, um, actually not a football coach. Um, he was a basketball coach. Mine was a strength and conditioning his, coach. Isn't that weird? It's so yeah, weird. Uh, and the funny thing is, so I, I see this person on occasion, um, still keep in touch, you know, whatever. His methods would probably be criticized today, um, but his love of players and his love of wanting them to succeed, it shined through uh, those moments of when you know, like I said, his, his moment uh, methods, I, I think in today's world, people might go, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that would sort of pass the, you know, the, the litmus test. Um, so I, I think the, the challenge for a young player, you know, they, they may not have the ability intellectually or emotionally to even understand what's going on. They might just come to their parent and, or family member and say, I just don't want to do this anymore. It's not fun. And I think for that family member or parent to really get down to the heart of the matter of why isn't it fun anymore? And why is that love, you know, because so on, on one hand, what they're seeing, right, of, oh my God, I, my son or daughter loved this game for so long and I, they would be out outside in the backyard and kicking the ball around and um, truly developing that love of the game. Yet on the other hand, I'm hearing them tell me how much that they just don't want to do it anymore. So something, there's a disconnect somewhere. And it reminds me of, um, Actually, when my son comes to my wife and I, and he says that, you know, he's having an issue about something. So let's get to the heart of the matter. It's probably disguised as something else. And that comes through listening. Uh, that comes through, you know, um, is uh, Stu Singer, um, someone whom I admire and had on my show, sports psychologist that's worked with a number of teams here in the States. I hope I've made enough positive deposits emotionally you know, into his bank as a human that he can come to me and feel comfortable to say like, you know, dad, this happened at school, but he might be exhibiting, um, you know, sort of symptoms or, uh, you know, he might be anxious or he might be, you know, just not himself, but that's not really what's going on. Let's get to the heart of the matter. So I think for young players, I think it's really hard. And I think it takes parents or family, friends, whomever, um, to just really understand and be in tune 
to understand that if a, a coach could make or break a young player, um, I think for, for older players, it probably takes, you know, there, there's a, a level of sort of perseverance that they have to find um, that sometimes players are, um, you know, emotionally, they have more depth than they probably give themselves credit for. Um, and I think that um, sometimes it takes being stretched into that area. So it, it might be uncomfortable. I would damn near say it probably is uncomfortable, but if they can get to the, get to a place through some self-reflection uh, or through some conversations with other people to realize that, you know what, my love of the game is actually still there. That particular environment was really challenging or difficult. You know what, I think I need to change that environment, um, you know, to find a situation that, that works for, you know, for me as a player. Um, and again, it, it just goes back to support. Um, you know, for, for as many good coaches as there are, there's still a lot of really bad ones um, in terms of trying to tear players down. And, you know, like I said, I, I have yet to figure out what value that provides to anybody, not only as a human being, um, but as a, especially as an athlete. Um, because once it's in your head, I mean, good luck trying to get it out. Um, you know, there's numerous uh, sporting stories of athletes that, um, you know, uh, use baseball as an example, you know, a, a pitcher who literally couldn't throw a ball over, uh, you know, over the plate because it, it had gotten in his head so much, um, you know, that they can't even go out and perform a, a skill that they had done literally thousands of times. Um, so, you know, it's the whole nature versus nurture uh, argument, I think, um, in that, you know, I, part of the ownership is on the player for sure. And that's obviously age appropriate. But part of it too is, is the people around them. And, you know, if you care about players, if you care about your son or daughter, if you care about a family member, you know, it's, it's about supporting them in good and bad. Um, because it's not always, you know, rosy. It doesn't always, uh, you know, it's not always rainbows and, and unicorns. Um, you know, and, that, and then that's part of, it's part of the awesome part of sport is that sport can teach grittiness and determination and, you know, that willingness to work through some really shitty circumstances, but it can also break people too, you know, and that's really tough when a player walks away from a sport that, especially one that they've loved. Um, and that breaks my heart, especially with the, the football players I've coached um, when I hear that they're not playing anymore. Um, because of a, you know, whatever the circumstances might be. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. And it sounds like the solution to all of that problem or all of that summarized into one thing is everybody needs to go to therapy. <laughs> uh, you, you know me, I, I am 100% pro therapy. Um, and you no, know, it, it's so funny. just to riff on that for a minute that um, I think uh people think that just because someone goes to therapy that they're crazy, right? That they have some sort of in, uh, you know, deficiency in their life in why are they going to, you know, consult with somebody? I, I think if times are good, if times are bad, somewhere in the middle, having a third party that is neutral that you can go to and reset yourself is incredibly value, uh, valuable, um, just as a person. And that, um, you know, we, we talk about work-life balance, we talk about eating right, we talk about exercising, we talk about all these other things, but why in the hell do we neglect arguably the most important part of our body? Um, and thank God some of the stigma has been broken down, but there's still, you know, a lot to do. And, 
you know, this whole idea of like, well, we don't talk about that. Like, I'm sorry, you have to. And, you know, again, I, I go back to my, my parenting style that like, like I said, I mean, we have said numerous times to all three of our children, we don't do secrets in this house, the end. <laughs> um, so uh, not that, you know, I'm some parenting expert <laughs> by any stretch. Um, my, my three-year-old daughter has, has given me a few gray hairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that beard's looking a little bit uh, wider than usual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, but, but the value of having somebody who, whether just because you're a coach or an athlete or because you're a human being who can help you reflect and be your mirror, your external mirror, so you don't have to work as hard mentally and say back to you exactly what you were saying in different words so that you see it differently um, and kind of for me, I know I'm a psychologist as well. So a lot of it for me was breaking down my own bullshit, so to say, <laughs> like she would look mm -hmm. at me and say, um, so you're basically saying this, if I'm taking away all the flowery language, is that really what you want to be saying? And that had nothing to do with like mental illness or, um, you know, my issues with depression, anxiety, and the whole rest of the, the bookcase. It was just a this is how I live my life without thinking about it. And when I hear it that way, it doesn't sound right. That's not the values that I stand behind being able to identify those things. And that changes how I react and reacted as a player and react, behave, respond as a, a coach and as a psychologist. Um, I really mm -hmm. see no downside to it besides the, the front side uh, work and emotional um, stress that has to be put in in order to get the stuff out, but it's not all emotional stress. It's, uh, it's about having somebody who will cut the bullshit for you and help you figure out, Oh, Hey, I get that habit because I had a coach who said this, that, and the other thing to me. And that was actually his problem. And I just took it on. Um, mm -hmm. and I carried that with me so I can let it go now. Like mm -hmm. there's really yeah. no downside to it. Yeah. Uh, you're hundred percent right. And the, um, you know, the, the permission you've given yourself, the permission I've given myself to, um, you know, to, to not have to carry that weight around anymore is incredibly valuable. Um, you know, I, I still have work to do on my end, uh, but no, baby, that, um, I got a good 20 years ahead of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, you know, uh, one of the things that my therapist always, um, she had said to me is, you know, how do you put the piano down? Stop carrying the piano around on your back. And how do you put it down? And, um, you know, I, 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 when she said that, I actually put it in my phone and I look back on it on occasion. And, um, you know, especially on those days, I think when I'm struggling the most, because it, it's exactly what you said. It's, I was internalizing other people's shit. Um, <laughs> so how do I break that cycle? And if I, I can, uh, you know, make a, make a plug here for self-awareness that I would say arguably the most valuable skill someone can have it's just even a smidge of self-awareness. And if they have that, um, they will have a more fulfilling, I think, enriching, um, happy uh, life, you know, overall. So, um, yeah, far, far from perfect. Uh, don't want anyone to, to misunderstand that. Um, still have a lot of work to do on my end. But, uh, you know, um, I think if you're willing to put the work into it, I think you'll reap the reward for sure. But I think that's part of that. That was part of what drove me to therapy, though, in the, in the beginning was like, or at least to the self-awareness journey was, I'm far from perfect, but I could at least not damage other people in the process of not being perfect. So mm -hmm. how do I, yeah, respond, react, 
how do I handle myself in a way that doesn't hurt other people because I had shit dumped on me, you know, mm-hmm. leaving less yeah. shit behind, so to speak. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've come to realize that the, uh, the four other people in my house don't want to live with uh, someone who's carrying around a, <laughs> a bag of shit. Literally. Oh yeah. And all of my athletes will fire me like that if I dump shit on them as they should. So yep. Yeah, it's same, a, same with my players. It's a practice what you preach thing though. Cause I, expect my athletes to be good people constantly focusing on development and they should expect the same thing of me. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, but I I think that's why we're invested in what we do. Right. I mean, we haven't hit the autopilot button in, uh, you know, just put our feet up and go, well, okay, we've made it to a certain level. Like we can relax now. Um, I think, and that's probably for me, why coaching is such a fulfilling piece of my life because it is constantly challenging me to be better, right? I can show up and do the same things over and over again and kind of go through the motions. Any coach could do that. But I think that, you know, if you truly want to master something, and I may never master coaching, but I have that willingness and wanting to master coaching. So it, you know, it's sort of the the twists and the turns and the plot twists and the um, the ups and the downs and the good patches and the bad patches of whatever, you know, of forcing me to be better. And um, I mean, that's, you know, how I impr- uh, approach it. I embrace that part of it. I think it's, um, you know, just, I, it makes it fun for me as a coach. And, uh, uh, you know, and then when you have that breakthrough with a player or with a team, um, you know, I, I feel like I can like take off and run a marathon. <laughs> I wouldn't last very long, but uh you know, I feel like I'm like, you know, yeah. That, like that endurance on. though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would, run, I would at least run on adrenaline for like maybe a good five, 10 miles, maybe <laughs> whatever that is in kilometers. I'm not sure, but you know, <laughs> uh, a good 10 K seems to be the maximum that I'm pulling off these days. So, well, I want to be respectful of your time coach, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing. Um, I really appreciate that. And where can the people get in contact with you online? I'll pack it on the show notes, but let them know where they can find you. Yeah. uh, Highly active on Twitter and Instagram. Um, You can find me at soccer coach JB and uh, yeah. um, Julia really appreciative to, uh, to come on the show and um, fan of your work, um, fan of how you approach your work. Um, Yeah. I am just grateful and glad that we were able to connect. So yeah. Thanks guys for listening and coach. We'll see you next time. Thank you.